You know, guys, we live in a world of rivalries. PC and Mac, North and South, Yankees, Red Sox, Auburn, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan. Um, when I was growing up, my dad taught me not to like the New York Yankees. He grew up in Detroit, and the Tigers used to have a rivalry with the Yankees, particularly in the, in the 1960s. And he told me as a kid, son, you can cheer for any team you want to cheer for, but you can't cheer for the Yankees. And so I didn't think a whole lot of it. I went to the circus in town and I played the speed pitch game and guessed my speed accurately. And so I won a helmet of my choice. And so I selected, they didn't have many options, so I selected a Yankees helmet. And I wore it proudly back to my house. My dad met me at the front door and he said, son, you're not coming in with that hat on. And I thought he was joking and I tried to get through the door and he took the helmet off my head and he threw it in the yard. And he said, you go back to town and trade that helmet in. And so I went back to town and I traded it in for, I think it was a Blue Jays helmet or something. Any team was acceptable except the Yankees. Now my dad's mellowed a lot since then, um, but he still doesn't like the Yankees. And when you think about all of these rivalries that exist in our world today, um, that are really serious um, rivalries uh, between races, for example, uh, the question is, what, what can bring harmony? What, what brings unity to people who are at odds with each other? Well, the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, tells us that it's the gospel that brings different groups of people together. Because whatever rivalry you've got in your, your mind, it, it would be hard to compare it to the rivalry that existed between the Jew and the Gentile. This was a, a rivalry that was cultural, it was religious, it had went on for a long period of time, it was, it was, it was filled with hostility. And Paul describes it in this section of scripture as, as basically there was a wall that was up between the Jew and Gentile. And the only thing that can obliterate that wall is the gospel. The only thing that can make these enemies friends is Jesus. And that's what this section is about. So in, in our first session, we looked at our identity in Christ. And then in session two, about how God makes dead people alive, spiritually alive. And, and so the gospel changes our vertical relationship. That is our relationship to God. But it does more than that. The gospel also changes our, our corporate relationships, our, our, our horizontal relationships with one another. And Paul is talking about uh, kind of the corporate implications of being in Christ. If you're in Christ, not only do you have a new identity, you have a new community. Your identity and your community, the, these two go together. And that's the transition from Ephesians 2.10 to Ephesians 2.11, as Paul is now talking about this, this corporate dimension, how you and I have a, have a new family. And so if you're looking at a, a Bible there in front of you, you see that the text is broken down pretty easily. Uh, in chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, Paul talks about our, our former condition before we were Christians, much like he did earlier in the chapter, in, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. In this section, in verses 11 and 12, uh, he, he tells us that we were apart from Christ, we were separated from God, we had no hope. It's really a, a bleak picture of, of our alienation, of our separation with God. But what happened in verse 13 is, is Jesus has brought reconciliation. And so he moves from alienation to this beautiful reconciliation, how Jesus, in verse 13, has brought us near by his blood. Verse 14, he himself is our peace. You notice the, the, the corporate dimension there, that Jesus 
is our peace. Jesus brings us together. Not only does Jesus reconcile us to God the Father, but Jesus reconciles people uh, through his, his death on the cross. Verse 14, he's broken down this dividing wall of hostility. Verse 15, he's, he's abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create one new man in the place of two. So Jesus has created an entirely new humanity through his, his death on the cross. He's, he's come and he's brought us peace. And you think about the hostility that exists today uh, in our cities in America. Uh, most recently, we've seen so many tragic killings um, and, and so, much, so much hostility, anger, bitterness, and, uh, and, and you can understand why uh, the rage. And in the church, you often wonder, how can groups of people who are different be together? How can they be united? Well, Paul gives the great solution here. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is the one that, that brings us together. And so after this work of reconciliation, he goes on to say in verses 19 to 22 that Jesus has brought uh, a new identity to our corporate life. So it's alienation, reconciliation, identification. And Paul basically gives us three uh, phrases, three pictures for what our new family looks like as believers. Uh, and so he, first of all, says that we are now citizens in God's kingdom. That's verse 19. We're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens of, with the saints and members of the household of God. So we were once spiritual refugees. We, we had no home. We had, we had no identity. Uh, Roman citizenship was, was very uh, prized in the ancient world. And, and here Paul is saying, you, you're part of, of the kingdom of God. And, and the church is, is like a little embassy of the greater kingdom of God. It's a little outpost of the kingdom. And, and we who were once strangers, once refugees, have now been brought into this, this incredible citizenship, this incredible kingdom. And then Paul gets a little bit more personal when he says that you not only have a new citizenship, but you have a new family, that you're now part of the household of God. And so we have a new father. Uh, the book of Ephesians already taught us that we've been adopted uh, by the father, that the father of glory can open up our eyes in chapter one. And now we see that, that we have this new father, we have, we have new, new siblings as well. We've been brought into this family. And this is a remarkable thing to, to, to one, be adopted, and then two, to experience a new family. Now I have firsthand experience of what this looks like on a, on a personal level. My wife and I adopted five children. And we have four kids from Ukraine, one from Ethiopia. Uh, and so it's, a, it's quite a diverse crowd in our house. And I remember when we brought our son Joshua home, it was about the second night or so we were having dinner. Uh, he was from Ethiopia and uh, we brought him in to eat. And Joshua uh, did not want to eat the salad that my wife had made. He, in fact, he wouldn't even eat around the salad. He, he protested that salad was even on his plate. And so Joshua proceeded to leave the room. And I had to go get the little guy and sit him down. And I'm like, eat, eat, eat. And he's like, and he would leave and I would go get him and put him back down to eat. And I kept saying, eat. And this whole time this was going on, I kept thinking to myself, when I was a kid, my mom used to say, Tony, you know, you need to eat your green vegetables. And I would say, why, mom? And she would say, because they're, they're starving kids in Africa. And this whole time I was looking at this, this little ordeal thinking to myself, apparently they won't eat it either. You know, I mean, here, here's a kid who's, who's come from a bamboo hut and we've brought him into this house and he wants no part of spinach. And so everything's had, have, it changes. When you get adopted into a new family, everything changes. 
and all of what people try to feed you, uh, your, your siblings, language. Everything has changed when you get adopted. And, but it's not just your relationship with your father, it's, it's brothers and sisters. And so now he's got a Ukrainian brother that looks nothing like him. And so when we go to the grocery store and we're trying to check out and they both call me Papa, you know, the clerk is just looking at me like, are, are, are they brothers? Uh, and I get to tell them, yeah, yeah, they're really brothers. And, and she doesn't believe me, of course, um, because they look so different, but they really are brothers. And it is a, it's an amazing thing to be able to call someone else, especially people who don't look like you, brother. You know, in the church, we just throw that phrase around. I love you like a brother. You know, that's what the girls used to say in college when they didn't want to go out with a guy when he would ask her out. I, I love you like a brother. Uh, or in church, we, if you forget someone's name, you say, you know, how, how you doing, brother? I do that as a pastor, you know, uh, all the time. But to say to a Jewish person, as a Gentile, you're my brother, you're my sister, that's a huge thing. And that's what's happened in the gospel. We not only have a new identity with God, but we have new brothers and sisters. We are made part of the household of God. We're members, we are rightful members of this family. And that changes everything. And Paul will go on to say, as family members, we've got chores to do in this family. We have responsibilities to carry out and we'll get there later. So Paul says, you're citizens of the, of the kingdom of God. You're, you're part of this, 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 this nation, this holy nation, as Peter calls it. You're not a refugee. You're part of this, this kingdom. You're members of the family of God built on, he says in verse 20, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Back in the day when people would build old buildings, you know, cobblestone buildings, they would find a choice stone to be the cornerstone. The cornerstone is what everything else rested on. It was what gave the rest of the building its alignment. You had to get the right cornerstone, otherwise everything would be unstable and out of alignment. And so it is in the Christian faith. Jesus is our cornerstone. If you don't get Jesus right, everything else will be wrong. He's the only one that can, can carry the weight of everything in our lives. And so as you think about your identity, even before you really ask the question, who am I? You've got to ask the question, who is Jesus? And if you get who is Jesus right, then you can get who am I right? And then you can get who are we? Who are we as a people? And so Paul reminds us that that's who's making all of this possible, this new community, this new, this new citizenship, this new family is Jesus Christ, who did all of this work of bringing two parties who were once at odds together. And then he lands in verse 21 and 22, and he gives a third metaphor, and that is that we're a temple. We're like stones that are, that are being built together, and we're all dependent upon Jesus to give us our stability and our life. And so what, what this passage should do, it's really a number of things, but I'll just point out a, a few final you know, challenges in light of Paul's emphasis on Jesus' work of creating this, this new community. One thing this text should do for you is give you an elevated concept of the church. You should see how central the church is to Jesus, okay? Like, just don't pop in churches and pop out. We've got a lot of people, they're like Christian ninjas. They show up and then they disappear. I'm like, who, where do they go? Like, God doesn't want you to be a ninja. He wants you to be a church member, a church, part of, a, part of the family of faith. So see how important the church is here to Jesus. John says, this is how we know we pass from death to life. We love the brothers. 
That's how we know we pass from death to life. Not that you have a fish on your car or you label yourself an evangelical. It's that you love the brothers. So don't just love the concept of a church. And don't just say, I love Jesus, but not the church. No, love real people in a real church and realize it's Jesus that's redeemed us. It's Jesus that's brought us together. And our family looks a little bit crazy, but we're family. So this, this passage will give us an elevated concept of the church, and, and you should see how it, only the gospel can unify a church, ultimately. We're not unified by music. We're not unified by style. We're not unified by race. What unites us is Jesus Christ. And when you experience that kind of unity, it is deep and profound and satisfying. And so let's contribute to that unity. Paul will tell us how to do that in chapter 4. And let's pray that we would be a great reflection of the glory of Christ who makes all of this possible, who's brought enemies together and made them family. Only the gospel can do that.